Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. It's my happiest time of the week where I get to hear what I have done wrong in our Clark Sink segment. It was like every report card I ever got in school. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Also today, something that makes us all unhappy and it happens with way too much regularity, having our health claims denied. We're going to talk about what to do when you find yourself in that situation. So today is when we get to find out ways that I disappointed you. You feel I gave a wrong answer. You feel I gave an incomplete answer or I missed the big picture. Thus, Clark Stinks is about to begin. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. So, Christy, you got some good ones today? Yep, I'm going to start out with this one. Well, I just want to say something. I am impressed with how creative people are coming up with uh, analogies of how I stink. My just-turned-five-year-old son heard the garbage trucks picking up trash last Friday and excitedly said, garbage trucks, it's Friday. Can we listen to Clark Stinks? Now I can't drive to school on a Friday morning without my two kids asking me to play your podcast. I love the insight you give, and it gives me more opportunities to talk about money with my five and six-year-old sons. It would make Joey and Jack's year if Clark read this on their favorite show. Instead of lip singing, my six-year-old even lip talks and pretends he's Clark while we listen. Uh, Keep up the stinking great work, Anthony. Okay, uh, (laughs) Joey and Jack. Thank you both for enjoying Clark Stinks, and it's so great to have you along. I hope that you're learning things that will do so many great things for you. And I just want to know why you haven't dropped out of school yet and gone to work. No, just kidding. Stay in school. Learn. And learn from us, too. I'm glad you tune in. Clark, you don't necessarily stink like a Sasquatch in the middle of the summer in Florida, However, a few weeks ago, you mentioned several places that people should never, ever, not ever open an IRA. You forgot to mention one of the worst offenders, insurance companies. Insurance companies tend to have much higher fees compared to your favorite children, as well as high commissions. I thought this was something you should mention as a way to help everyone save their hard-earned money from those pesky insurance company IRA fees, Daniel. Daniel, thank you. And the other thing... I can't believe, and it's just a lack of knowledge by uh, typically smaller employers, that they offer employee 401ks from insurance companies. I can't even imagine it, the horror of it all, because the fees are so outrageous, so unbelievably terrible. The commissions, the ongoing fees, yuck. So, yeah. 
It's completely right. I should mention that, and it's my fail that I did not. You smell worse than a Lake Erie algae bloom. Not really. You talk about Airbnb from a guest booking perspective, suggesting they only select rentals with very lenient cancellation policies. Please remember that most hosts are mom and pop sole proprietors. We rely on rentals to supplement income for mortgage payments. If I get a cancellation a week out, my unit is likely to not get booked or I will need to drop my price to encourage last minute booking. We understand we compete with hotels that can more easily offer flexibility. Our options are flexible, one day prior cancellation, moderate, five days prior cancellation, or firm, no refund. When I offered moderate, I had 23% cancellations, and I'm rated as a super host. 23%. Wow. If, if guests need flexibility, they should ask the host ahead of time and say, if I cancel and allow you enough time to find another booking at the same rate and duration, would you consider a full refund? I've offered that every time and would always do that again. My goal, guessing like most hosts, is to offer a good value and get a positive review, not a double booking windfall bill. And a few Airbnb hosts wrote in with the same sentiment. I, I want to tell you how much I appreciate this because I look at it uh, from the consumer perspective. And you said in your post, comparing the difference with a hotel booking policy and Airbnb. And interestingly enough, one of the common practices now in the hotel industry is they're like, hey, it's working for Airbnb to not provide refunds. Let's try that. And you'll find that most hotel chains now offer a lower rate if you book far in advance and make it completely non-refundable, non-changeable. But life always presents odd circumstances. I'm glad you were kind to people. You worked something out with them. But uh I get it from your perspective. You own that property. You've got ongoing costs with it. And if somebody cancels at the last minute, you got spoiled goods that are hard to re-rent. This one is a dilemma because my perspective is protecting the traveler. And you're bringing a completely different perspective to the table, which is exactly why we do Clark Stinks. Clark talked about how to get payment for the purchase of a car or anything that you're selling for thousands of dollars. Last year, when I sold my 2005 Newmar Dutch Star motorhome for $92,000, I didn't want to get paid in cash. What I did was go to the buyer's bank and let the teller hand me a bank check. I figured if the teller hands me the check, it's good. It's hard for me to say Clark stinks, but respectfully, Greg. Yeah, and who wants to have $92,000 in your hand? That makes you a mark. And there is another... Clark stinks about this. Oh, let's so hear. Can I read that too? Sure. Clark doesn't stink, but he mentioned he used a counterfeit detecting pen to check money. These pens are all but useless. They detect the fabric that money is printed on. The problem is that criminals will sometimes bleach the color out of $1 bills, then print hundreds on the washed out bills. The counterfeit pen will correctly identify that it's genuine currency, but can't tell you the denomination or tell you that you're about to get ripped off. Currency currently has ultraviolet indicators of the correct denomination. Shine it on any bill and you will see the denomination light up. You can even see these yellow marks with the naked eye. Your eyes aren't as reliable as the ultraviolet light since criminals can use yellow ink too. These lights can be purchased for under $10, Chuck. Oh, I see it. And there's one more. I didn't realize there were actually three, so let's read this Okay, go quick. ahead. You mentioned a buyer was paying $10,000 in cash for a car. I would like to warn your listening audience that carrying a lot of cash is a terrible idea due to civil asset forfeiture. In the U.S., civil asset forfeiture is when local authorities take any valuables, usually but not limited to cash, 
they find in your possession when they suspect those valuables are the fruit of a crime. This is typically done during a traffic stop on the side of the road or when traveling through U.S. airports. Even worse, the authorities can then keep these valuables, never charge the suspect of a crime, and the only way to get the valuables returned is if the suspect successfully sues the authorities. Legal fees are almost never reimbursed when prevailing in court in these cases, so most people walk away from the seized valuables because the legal fees usually would be higher than the potential value of their returned valuables. Be warned. Instead, for this case, a better idea is for the seller to go to the bu- with the buyer to their local credit union or, God forbid, bank to witness them getting a cashier's check. I love your podcast, and if I could, I'd like to wish my son Wiley a happy 13th birthday. Nicholas. Well, how about we wish also Wiley a happy, happy 13th birthday. Happy birthday, Wiley. You want to sing to Wiley? Oh, I don't think Definitely anyone not. would like to no, hear that. that would ruin everybody's day. <laughs> so let's deal with all these things. The last one with the civil forfeiture has been something that has been such an unfairness to the American people. We're supposed to be innocent till proven guilty. And this has given an incentive to local law enforcement around the country to never charge somebody with a crime, but basically seize what they've got, whatever possessions they have, money, whatever else. And the law is a stacked deck against U.S. citizens. I very much object to it. There have been so many horror stories with this. The incentives are not aligned with what our country stands for. On the issue of the problem with cash, I appreciate all the posts about this. This is a hard one. This is a tough one. And I have always loved the suggestion of meeting the person at their bank and getting a cashier's check or credit union and get the equivalent of a cashier's check as you turn over the possession and you sign the title over at that time. Clark is great, but he made a comment that stinks worse than the time he had water-free urinals installed at the radio station. Oh, man. He repeated the myth that smoke detectors must be placed high in a room and carbon monoxide detectors low. This is not true. Carbon monoxide is actually less dense than air, but close enough to such that it disperses evenly throughout a room. There is no harm in placing a CO detector level with where you sleep or lower, but if you have a combo smoke and carbon monoxide detector mounted up higher on a ceiling, you are fine. And that's from Sean. Sean, thank you. Okay, that one thing I talked about last year has generated so much feedback from every possible angle about the carbon monoxide detectors. And I thank you for that because I've always heard, and you've now corrected, that a carbon monoxide detector should be low, a smoke detector should be high. But it completely makes sense what Sean said because now there's so many combo detectors that are smoke and carbon monoxide, and they're supposed to be up high. So obviously, Sean's right. You far from stink, but please always make a note of the actual question the caller is asking about. A caller called in to ask if their daughter, as an authorized user on their account, needed to actually activate the card, not just put it out of use. After getting sidetracked about the way Krista pronounces Missouri, you only (laughs) acknowledge what the caller said that they actually do, leave the card in the deep freeze. Knowing if the card that won't be used actually needs to be activated is a good question that went unanswered, Greg. Greg, I'm so sorry. I I am forever flaky. There should be no reason to activate the card to have it active and create that credit history for the child that you're trying to help them establish credit. There may be some financial institution somewhere that only considers it a real authorized user, if the card's activated. I've never heard that before, though. 
Clark, love your show, but you missed a big part when discussing construction costs with a caller. You mentioned lumber futures, and you are right. Those costs have dropped dramatically, but manufactured wood products like plywood have not dropped and in some cases have risen due to the shortage of glue and the Ukrainian conflict impacting the sale of Baltic birch, the preferred premium plywood type. Robert. Robert, thank you. That's a perspective I've not heard from anybody. Builders I've talked to are feeling some relief at what supplies are costing them. And I've never heard the term Baltic birch, but I appreciate you educating me on it. And I'm going to see if I can find out more about what actually is going on with plywood prices. Maybe that's why I'm seeing so much oriented strand board OSB being used in place of plywood on so many construction sites. I think you might be smelly on this one. You mentioned to do all you can not to contact your car insurance company after an accident. One should be careful on that topic. We had an insurance where our policy clearly states if you do not contact them within a short time, 48 hours, insurance can refuse to cover the issue. Thanks, BW. BW, thank you very much. Wow. Uh, You know, that would vary by state if such a tight restriction is allowed. 48 hours, I mean, gosh, somebody could be injured from an accident in the hospital and there's no way they could make a claim in 48 hours. That is unusually unfriendly from an insurer, but I appreciate you pointing out the tight timeline that you experienced. This has to do with a segment that the person says he bought a car that was too expensive for his budget, and on top of that, he lost his job. He asked what was more important, to pay his credit cards or pay for his car. I was surprised Clark didn't say he should sell the car that he can't afford. Clark just talked about how to try and make more money to afford these car payments that he really can't afford. Martha and a couple people wrote in. All right, so why did I say that? Because odds are overwhelming, Martha, the individual is upside down on that vehicle. This is something that is a constant problem we hear about is with the extremely lengthy vehicle loans people are taking out that from the minute they leave the dealer's lot, in order to get out from under the vehicle, they would have to pay thousands of dollars to cover the shortfall between what they owe on the vehicle and what it's actually worth. So that's why getting rid of the vehicle, and I guess I should have explained that at the time, that normally you're completely right. Selling the vehicle and getting uh, just a beat up vehicle would make more sense, but it's something that does not work in most cases because of the upside down nature that the vehicle buyers are usually in. Coming up ahead, I'll tell you something that does stink. Health insurers acting in bad faith or failing to act in good faith, as the law would say, who deny claims without actually ever reviewing them. There have been several exposés recently where insiders, whistleblowers, at health insurers have spilled the beans about unethical health insurers that trying to hold down their costs are denying claims without even reviewing them and knowing that most people will just whimper away and pay it out of their own pocket. It is a sinister, cynical practice of some players in the health insurance business. It's really terrible because you're kicking somebody when they're down. Somebody may have had a, uh, normally where they're doing this is expensive claims. Maybe somebody who's a chronic health condition or a cancer 
They may not have the energy to fight for themselves. And the reality is another friend or family member needs to step in and step up and wage the good fight. So ProPublica has done a lot of writing on this and how to fight back against an insurer that's trying to cheat you by denying a claim out of hand without ever even truly evaluating it. You can appeal a denial, but more than that, you have a right to see your claim file. And you'll see in there, nobody's even looked at it at the insurer. It's just unbelievably rotten, terrible, dirty. Now, there are legitimate reasons potentially for a denial of a claim. Could be that the plan you're in required a pre-certification. Could be that the plan you're in did not include coverage for the type of care you sought out. Or most often, there will be a reduction in payment where they only pay a partial claim because it's not a facility or provider in network. Now, I've talked about the No Surprises Act and when they can't pull that on you and when they can. But the big thing is to know that insurers are playing a rough game. They're denying claims knowing most people will not fight back. And the only way you're going to win is if you do fight back. It doesn't mean you're going to win, but the only chance you have of winning is if you respond with those dual things. You want to see the file and you want to appeal the claim denial. ProPublica, ProPublica.org has tons of information for you about how to go through this process. If you have an extremely complicated situation involving disease management, a very difficult chronic condition, cancer that requires significant and exotic treatment, you may want to hire a claims specialist who is someone who's either formerly with the health insurance industry or the medical industry, and they know how to look through a bill from a provider and look through the policy you have and make sure the both of them meet up. Many times a bills claimant specialist will find errors in the bill from the provider that led to the decline by the insurance company. And in that case, it's a clerical thing you got to get fixed, and that's what the claim specialist will do. They're not cheap, but they're very inexpensive compared to the cost of these bills. So just know there are many reasons why you can get declined. Some are really ugly. Others are just ugly for your wallet. And you got to know how to stand up for yourself. Speaking of that, Charles in Indiana wrote in, I have an unpaid medical bill from a procedure that I now had over nine months ago. I'm still appealing the bill with my insurance, but the hospital has turned it over to a collection agency. Should I pay this bill before it hits my credit report? And will paying it impact the odds of the appeal being approved or denied? There's actually more to the story in that the hospital told me it was pre-approved, but it actually was only partially approved. They said the insurance company changed their mind. Is this a thing, a discussion for another day, perhaps? So, Charles, a lot of layers there that fit exactly what I was just talking about. So, if a bill ultimately is paid under the law now and the way the credit bureaus have interpreted it, 
your credit will be harmed from the bill being outstanding. But as soon as the bill is paid, then it will no longer reflect on your credit. And amounts below $500 is probably way beyond that. But amounts below $500 won't ever appear even if it's not paid because of all the errors and all the third-party issues that you and I are mostly spectators in and not able to move things along. So in your case, I would go to the hospital patient advocate. You know, if the hospital says that, oh, yeah, we had approval, and they really didn't, the hospital's patient advocate may also be referred to as the social worker at the hospital, may be able to get this thing moving along and get it settled to your satisfaction, and everybody will be okay, and your credit won't be ruined. Right now, you're just dealing with the bureaucracy at the insurer and the hospital. Back to your original question, should you just pay it and continue the good fight? No, that takes all the pressure off the system. So uh, the pressure point I want you to hit is the patient advocate, or I don't want you to physically hit them. I mean, (laughs) the process I want you to get into is when the patient advocate or the hospital social worker, whatever they call it at the hospital system where you're having this problem, because the problem likely did begin with the hospital and they're the ones who who are putting you into collections that's why you need the patient advocate to be working on your behalf to try to unwind this and figure it out jeffrey in canada says what should we do when we are witness to alleged shoplifting there was an article i read recently suggesting not to get involved But in the same article, the author says because he uses self-checkout, he fails to scan at least one item per week as compensation for using self-checkout. I'm perplexed as I would be mortified for even thinking about cheating anyone. Thank you. First of all, the author's moral compass is broken, Mm -hmm. saying that they steal one item a week when they check out at self-checkout. My goodness. All right, so I'm a tattletale. I don't know if you know this, Krista, but... If I observe somebody who I think is shoplifting, I go find loss prevention Mm -hmm. in the store and I tell them that I don't know, but I think you may have a problem with, so I never accuse the individual of shoplifting. Right. That's a good way to get yourself shot. Yeah, in trouble. Yeah. So I just say, I just say, (laughs) I think this person may be blah, blah, blah. And they know, and they, and they know what I mean, but I haven't said it because shoplifting is a terrible problem has become normalized. There are people who think, hey, it's okay. I, you know, things are expensive. Look what they're charging me. I'm just going to take this. Uh-uh. It's not okay, ever. And so the self-checkout thing, retailers did it to save money. And it's costing them real money because criminals are exploiting it. So there's this nuclear arms race going on between the retailers and the customers using more and more sophisticated technology and and more sophisticated cameras to catch the people that are trying to cheat. And uh, gosh, if they just went to a system like the one I talked about a few months ago that the Japanese have come up with that allows you to check out in a second and a half and eliminates the possibility of somebody cheating at self-checkout, 
everybody would be happy. But I digress. I think that if you are a witness to shoplifting, telling somebody that you think there might be a problem going on over there is not a bad thing to do. Donald in Texas says, I just wanted to thank you for saving me some money. I booked an eight-day car rental for a minivan in North Carolina for $1,180 a month or two ago. I then remembered your advice to reshop the rates closer to my trip, and I was able to score a deal for $630. Thanks for helping me save nearly half the price. Well, thank you for sharing your feedback, Donald. So I have said historically that I save money about 90% of the time when I reshop car rentals. So far through, and I have traveled almost every week of this year, and we're getting close to the halfway point of the year, 100% of my car rentals this year, I have saved money reshopping. Where normally I say 90, but this year I'm 100%. Because the rates are trending down in most markets. That's why you book a car when you book your flight. And then you reshop it the week you're going. And most of the time, not going to be all the time like I've been lucky this year, you're going to get a cheaper rate to rebook. Now, red flag warning. Car rental companies now are offering to try to stop this last-minute shopping They're offering you a lower price if you book a fully prepaid car rental at the time you book. Don't fall for it. Take the higher priced reservation that you are not prepaying for so that you have the freedom to reshop later. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in today to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed Clark Stinks and know that we're here for you around the clock, every day of the year at Clark.com with money advice you can trust and at Clark Deals for the latest, greatest bargains that we have curated that are good ways for you to stretch every dollar. And our Team Clark Consumer Action Center is here to serve you with one-on-one free advice, not on the weekends, Monday through Friday. We've been doing this nearly 31 years. You can talk with a member of Team Clark from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon Eastern time zones, again, Monday through Friday only, at 636-49-CLARK. Have a wonderful weekend.